A little context before I read the text itself. Have you ever been made to feel completely left out, inadequate, and as if you don't matter to anyone? It's a terrible thing to be made to feel that way, but it's an even more terrible thing to be made to feel that way in the name of God. This morning's text comes to us from the letter of First Peter, written to a church in Cappadocia who was living under just those conditions. They were being persecuted by the religious authorities of the day, the Jewish synagogue leaders, as well as by the Roman Empire for being Christians. Basically, they were nobodies. With that understanding, hear this word as it comes to us from 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in the first verse. Rid yourselves, therefore, of all malice and all guile, insincerity, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord that is good. Come to him, a living stone, Though rejected by mortals, yet chosen and precious in God's sight, and like living stones, let yourselves be built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture as it is written, See, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To you then who believe, he is precious. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the very head of the corner, and a stone that makes them stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were prone to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, Now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Once you were not a people, there's actually a Hebrew word just for that name, you who are not a people. It was like calling someone the N-word or any other names that we have heard in a pejorative way used to diminish and lower someone. You are not a people in Hebrew is lul ami. And that's all they heard. You are not a people. 
You know what it's like to be felt, to feel like you are a nobody. For some time in your life, it's happened to you. It's forced you to go, if your mother was living, to ask her if you are a person and to see if she would tell you over and over and over again that you are precious in my sight and I love you more than I can say and you are here because you were such a gift and you were here because of God. That's what mothers are good for. And when you lose your mom, that's probably what you miss the most, is them telling you that you were so precious. Not every child gets that from their mothers, but most. Melba Beals was a 17-year-old child in Little Rock, Arkansas in 1957 when the court decided that we should integrate the schools. She, along with nine other children, were the ones, the African-American ones, who were asked to do that hard work. And every day she would go to school and she would be called names, and she would be spit on, and she would be pushed and shoved, and people would break into her locker, and she would have untold, untold insults about how she was not a real person. And every day she would come home, and her mother and her grandmother would sit down with her and hold her in their laps, and they would say to her, Melba, you are God's idea. You're God's idea. And because you're God's idea, you must do the good, hard, strong work of struggle to show this world just that. Your identity rests in God. We've all had moments of feeling in our own sort of shameful ways those experiences of not measuring up. And I have probably 15 of my favorites. I will only bore you with one. For our fourth graders, in fourth grade, my parents transferred me from the school two blocks from our house because it was being integrated. And although they were not overtly racist, they, along with most of the other white parents in that neighborhood got anxious about what that would mean. It was 1964. And so they transferred me and some other neighborhood kids to Myers Park Elementary School in Charlotte. It was all white. It was all rich. It was all on the social strata of the upper crust. I felt completely out of place the first day I was there. All the men had Gantt shirts, or the boys, All the girls had villager blouses, and all the boys and girls wore real Ouijans, while mine were just Tom McCann lookalikes. I was so self-conscious because I knew I was not part of the group. I came from the other side of town, the other side of the tracks, and I wanted to measure up so bad. I wanted to be included so bad. And then we went roller skating. I had never roller skated in my life. So I asked my mom to take 
me on Saturday before the class trip on Tuesday, and I tried to learn, and I held on to the rail all the way around, and I never could figure it out, uh, and I knew I was in trouble. Nevertheless, I showed up. Tuesday, the class goes. They're doing double sow-cow flips and pirouettes, and I'm holding on to the rail with my skates, feeling less than. Finally, I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going out onto the floor. So I went out, and either someone whizzed by me, I like to think that's what happened, and tripped me on purpose, or I just tripped myself, which is really what happened. I went down like an oak tree. They called me bugs because before I had braces, I had buck teeth. I went down, first thing that hit was this tooth hit the floor, broke in half. You know, the kind of break where your nerve is sticking out and all you can do is feel it when you breathe. Yet, do I show any pain? No. I get up as fast as I can and keep my mouth shut and keep trying to skate. Luckily, a teacher saw it all, came over to me, asked how I was. Okay. She took me aside, called my mom, who took me to the dentist and gave me a root canal that day and a temporary tooth. Now, one good thing that came out of it was that the temporary glue that the dentist used didn't last long. So after a while, I could take my tongue on the back of my tooth and take it in and out, up and down. And it it just fascinated all the kids in the class. So in a paradoxical way, in being completely uncool, I became cool, which was the whole point, of course. This morning's passage is way more powerful than that because it's not about one person, one self not measuring up. It's about a whole race, a whole community. They are Gentiles. They are believing in Christ They are not being welcomed into the community. They lived in Cappadocia. They lived in caves carved out of rocks. If you've ever been there, you know. And there are six floors of caves further into the ground because from time to time in the midst of persecution, they had to go underneath the ground to live, even for a year. Sounds like an eighth grader going into the cave of their room. At least it's not for a year. The point is, to get away from the persecution, they survived. But they were nobody. They were nobody and couldn't even live on the face of the earth. And from that place, the writer of this letter writes to them these words. You are a chosen race. chosen by God. The Hebrew people were chosen by God. Now you too are chosen by God. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. Not just a priest, a royal priesthood. And to be a part of the priesthood, you see, in in those days, the priests were the ones who handled God behind the curtain. Only the priests could get to God while the regular people had to sit way out in the congregation. They couldn't get close. But when you're not even a Jew but a Gentile, you don't even get in the temple. Now they're being called priests. 
You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. And to end it all, you are God's own people. Why? In order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who brought you out of darkness into the new marvelous light of Christ. And if they didn't get it then, it goes on. Once you were not a people, lol ami, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. This morning to you who are being confirmed and baptized, Jack and Ford and Kelly and Parker, I'm offering this sermon because I want you to see what you have to stand on for the rest of your life. In all the many ways that you're going to go through life and people are going to try to diminish you or hurt you or take away what you are as a child of God, don't let them because you have this verse to stand on. You are a holy nation. You are God's own people. You are a royal priesthood. And especially if someone tries to get you to be diminished because of your faith, about what you believe or don't believe or the questions that you ask or because of what you do or have done in your life, because of something that has happened, because maybe you get divorced and then you're not welcome to the table, do not buy it. You are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a child of God. Fred Craddock tells of a story of a, in East Tennessee when he was doing those week-long tent revivals, there was this little nine-year-old girl who would show up, and she was obviously wearing a hand-me-down dress that was tattered and soiled and some really scuffed-up shoes. She wore it every night, and every night after the sermon, she would come up to Dr. Craddock and say, my daddy's coming tomorrow night. Dr. Craddock said, great, great. The next night, she'd show up, and her daddy wasn't there. She came up to Fred and said, my daddy's coming tomorrow night. Great, great. Fred knew her daddy wasn't coming. Her daddy was at home. He couldn't get off the couch. But she was so ashamed for some reason to be in that religious setting. What was it that made her feel that shame in that place? Fred doesn't know, but he does know that whatever it was should never happen in a church. For we are all part of God's holy priesthood, all children of God. And confirmands know this above everything. Nothing can take that away. We are grateful for your commitment to this church in joining it. And we are grateful to this church in your nurture and care for them. And you know what? This isn't really just for the confirmands, is it? We're all called to be living stones, each stone, its own stone, its own shape, its own size, its own color, its own density, each stone fitting into the larger house we build of life, each stone needed by God, each stone sometimes chiseled, sometimes hammered away to make it fit, but each stone, each one of us as part of that larger 
dwelling. Thanks be to God who sees something in us that is so godlike that we are a holy priesthood. Let us bring forth our lives and our labors.